we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. The Bible says in verse 40. John chapter 1 and verse 40. The Bible says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Verse 42 says, And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is being interpreted, or excuse me, which is by interpretation a stone. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the freedom, Lord, and the liberty, Lord, you've given us to meet together as your people. Help us, Lord. I pray that you would fill me with your power as I preach tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would help all of our hearts to receive what you have for us. We thank you for your word and the power of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Tonight I'm going to preach on the, uh, the Bible character Peter. This is one of my favorite Bible characters. And there is so much to preach on when we approach this Bible character Peter. But tonight, with the Lord's help, I'd like to just give you a few thoughts, things that uh, the Lord has directly spoken to me about, and I know that will be a help to you as we look together in God's Word uh, even more. From what we understand from Scripture, Peter was an ordinary man that became an extraordinary leader for Christ. We have four lists of the 12 apostles in the New Testament. We find these lists in Matthew 10, Mark chapter 3, Luke chapter 6, and Acts chapter 1. In all four biblical lists, the same 12 men are named. And the order in which these names are given is strikingly similar. Here's what's interesting. The first name of all four lists that are mentioned in the New Testament is the name Peter. What the scripture is indicating here is that Peter naturally stands out as really the spokesman, if you will, for the disciples. We know that Simon Peter was the leader of the apostles, not only from the fact that his name is at the beginning of every list of the twelve, but also because it's directly stated in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 2. The Bible says, Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Now that word first translated in that verse is the Greek term protos, it doesn't refer to the first in a list as we would think. It, it speaks of the chief. It speaks of the leader of the group. There's a few details that the Bible gives us about this man named Peter. We understand that Peter had a brother named Andrew, of course. In fact, Andrew was the one who brought Peter to Jesus as we learned the first night that we began this Bible character study. We also know from Scripture that Peter was a fisherman. Fishermen in his day were considered very manly men. Uh, men with hot tempers, uh, with vulgar language, if you will. Traditionally, they were uneducated men. They were stereotypically men of action, very physical and not afraid of anything, which Peter clearly demonstrates when he cut, cuts off the soldier's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was being arrested. According to the Gospel records, we know that Peter had a wife. 
Her name isn't mentioned, but we know this to be true because in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14, the Bible says, And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. Peter had a very interesting personality. He was eager. He was aggressive. He was bold. He was outspoken. In fact, John MacArthur says he had a habit of revving his mouth while his brain was in neutral. I've often referred to him as the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. We see illustration after illustration of this throughout the Gospels. His emotional roller coaster of a personality was, was prevalent in almost every case his name was mentioned. So here's my question. How did Jesus take a harsh, uneducated, perplexed, indecisive, in every way loud mouth of a man, and not only appoint him as the leader of the apostles, but use him to do an extraordinary work for him. Many who have studied Peter's life and his characteristics would say that at first, when we first read of Peter and we meet him in, in the Gospel of Matthew, at first uh, it seemed, he seemed to be unusable, unteachable, perhaps too far gone. But Jesus said, this is just the man I'm looking for. So with that in mind, I'd like to speak to you tonight on this subject. Simon Peter, a life of transformation. Simon Peter, a life of transformation. You see, Peter is such a beautiful example of who we were before Christ, who we are in Christ, and what we can become because of Christ. Look with me again in John chapter 1 and verse 42 specifically. Verse 42 says, And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. I'd like for you to notice very quickly with me tonight my first point, point his title. His title. Notice with me his title. We find in Matthew that Jesus addresses him as Simon Bar-Jonah, which simply means Simon the son of Jonah. This was the name that Peter was given at birth. Simon was a very common name in that day. In fact, there are at least seven Simons in the gospel accounts alone. Among the twelve disciples, there were two named Simon, Simon Peter and Simon the Zealot. But we notice that the Lord gave him another name. I love this. Luke introduces it this way, Simon, who he also named Peter. Every commentary I've read highlights the importance of Luke's uh, choice of words here. You see, Jesus didn't merely give him a new name to replace the old one. He also named him Peter. There's the key word there, also. This disciple was known sometimes as Simon, sometimes as Peter, and sometimes as Simon Peter. The name Peter means rock, of course, as we know. Petros is the Greek word for a piece of rock or a stone. The Aramaic equivalent was Cephas. So from what we understand, Peter was in essence a sort of nickname that Jesus gave him. It's kind of like um, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Think about that name. That's a pretty cool nickname, right? Even after John 1, we, we see Jesus, uh, when Jesus first encounters Peter uh, and gives him his new name, he sometimes continues to refer to him as Simon anyway. I found that interesting. And what's interesting is that when you see that in Scripture, it's often the signal that, that Peter has done something that needs uh, rebuke or correction. 
This new name that Jesus had given him was significant, and the Lord had a specific reason for choosing it. From what we've learned, we understand that by nature, Simon was undependable. He was brash. Uh, he was emotionally unstable. So what did Jesus do? Jesus changed his name because he wanted the name Peter, the rock, to be a constant reminder to him about who he should be. John MacArthur says, From that point on, whatever Jesus called him sent a subtle message. If he called him Simon, he was signaling him that he was acting like his old self. If he called him Rock, he was commending him for acting him or for acting the way that he ought to be acting. It almost seems here when you read this and you, you understand this truth that Jesus is, is treating him kind of like a child. And, and in many ways he was. Um, don't miss this. What Jesus is doing, though, is he's teaching him how to be the man that God intends for him to be. He's taking him and he's molding him into the likeness of himself. Look with me again in John 1, We'll look at it a third time. It says, Jesus beheld, meaning he looked at him. He gazed upon him. He fixed his eyes on Simon. And then he says, thou art Simon meaning a hearer, a man who follows every voice. Just in that statement alone, Jesus is saying, Simon, I know your weaknesses. I know your strengths. I know your insecurities. And then he says, and here it is, you shall become Peter. Strength, stability, constant. Here's the Savior's challenge. Peter, let me take you. Let me remold you. Let me change you for the glory of my Father. I'm just curious, how many of you in the auditorium tonight would say that you're baseball fans? Baseball fans. All right, now put your hands up. How many of you say that you're die-hard baseball fans? I mean true baseball fans. We've got a couple here in the front, maybe a few others. I'll confess to you that I would not consider myself a die-hard baseball fan, but I found this, this story so incredibly interesting. You'll know exactly who I'm talking about. When I, when I begin to tell the story, Tommy Lasorda, uh, the former manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, tells the story of a young, skinny pitcher who is new in the Dodgers minor league system. This pitcher was somewhat timid, but had an extraordinarily powerful and accurate arm, he says. Lasorda was convinced that the young pitcher had the potential to be one of the greatest ever. But Lasorda says the young man needed to be more fierce, more competitive. He needed to lose his timidity. So Lasorda decided one day to give him a nickname that was exactly the opposite of his personality. That nickname was Bulldog. Over the years, that's exactly what Aurel Hershiser became. One of the most tenacious and fierce competitors who ever took the mound in the major leagues. Lasorda says this, and get this, he says the nickname became a perpetual reminder of what he ought to be. And before long, it shaped his whole attitude. Everyone in this room tonight has a name, a name that you were born with, uh, maybe a name that you may go by. However, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight, you've been given a new name. It's a name that reminds you not of what you were, but of what you are. Not of who you were, but of who you are. You're a child of the Most High God. You've been forgiven. You've been freed. You've been bought. You've been pardoned. Praise the Lord. We've been redeemed. 
Jesus knows what you were, but he also knows what you can be. I'm so thankful that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my past. Thank you, Lord. He doesn't see my failures. He doesn't see my lack of worthiness because I'm so unworthy. No, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees forgiveness and he sees grace. Praise the Lord. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior tonight, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he died to save you. Jesus knows your sin. He knows your weaknesses. He knows every bad thing there is to know about you, yet he loves you with an everlasting love. What a wonderful truth. He desires to give you a new name. He desires that. I'd like for you to notice with me, number two, his transformation. We, of course, know that Peter was transformed eternally by placing his faith in Christ. There's no doubt that altogether, uh, excuse me, that although it fluctuated, his, his faith in Christ, if you will, by, and I say that because of his denial of, of Christ thrice, Although it fluctuated, Peter had an immense amount of faith in Jesus. He truly did. We know that he believed in the Lord. He believed in his power. We know that he believed in his sovereignty and his incarnation. But I'd like to focus on his transformation as a man, as a, a leader, the transformation of his humanity. We find passage upon passage of Scripture that gives us insight of Jesus demonstrating his transformative power in Peter's life teaching him restraint and humility, compassion, love and courage, and the list goes on. All of which was absolutely imperative for Peter to learn, every bit of it, in order for him to become the leader and the man that he needed to be for Christ. But there's one specifically that the Lord spoke to me about the most, and that is submission. Submission. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 17. Find your place in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 24. Here we find that Jesus was returning with the twelve to Capernaum after a period of itinerant ministry. A tax collector was in town making the rounds to collect the annual two drachma, which is a half shekel of tax from each person 20 years old or older. Uh, this wasn't a tax paid to Rome, but this was a tax designed for the upkeep of the temple. And before you think that this was just some small amount, it wasn't. Uh, this tax collection was equal to two days' worth of wages, and that was paramount for, for Peter. Look with me there in verse 24. The Bible says, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers, Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money, that take, and give unto him them, for me and thee. From what we understand from Scripture and the life of Peter, Peter was the opposite of submissive. How many of you would say, I'm just curious, how many of you would be bold enough to say that submission comes easy to you? My hand goes down. Uh, there's a reason I'm preaching on it tonight, because it doesn't come easy to me. 
Jesus is speaking to me through his word on this very subject. Peter wasn't willing to submit to anyone. I can imagine that even the thought of bowing his knee to anyone was next to impossible for him to do. Peter was a man of initiative. He was always inclined to take control of every situation. However, Jesus knows that if Peter's going to be the Christian, the leader that he wants him to be, he's going to have to learn this very valuable lesson. Now, don't miss this. Jesus was trying to teach Peter balance. My dad has always told me that with everything in life, there must be balance in your attitude, in your spirit, in your leadership, in your home. And I struggle with that. But the more that I go, the more that I see that to be true. One commentator poses this question. Was Jesus morally obligated as the incarnate Son of God to pay for the upkeep of the temple like any mere man? The sons of earthly kings don't pay taxes in their father's kingdom. Why should Jesus? Jesus knew that Peter, or what Peter was thinking rather. So when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, What do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth take custom or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter answered him and said, From strangers. Kings don't tax their own children. Jesus drew the logical conclusion here for Peter when he said, Then the sons are free. In other words, Jesus had absolute authority if he desired to opt out of the temple tax. And we know that, of course. But if Jesus did that, he knew it would send the wrong message from an earthly, authoritative standpoint. Jesus knew that it was better just to submit and pay the tax than to cause confusion and irritation in the minds of the people that were around him, certainly from the tax collector as well. What a beautiful example of submission. He knew that people wouldn't understand. He knew that, uh, that uh, it would not only cause confusion, but much anger with them. Jesus would have lost, if not all, most respect in the eyes of the tax collector and so many others. Why was this important to Jesus? I thought about that. Why was this so important to Jesus to submit instead of do what he, he should have done, he could have done, he was worthy of doing? Because Jesus saw far beyond the earthly need of the collection of taxes from that man. Jesus Christ saw his soul. He wasn't trying to get Peter to see the, or excuse me, he was trying to get Peter to see the big picture. There are precious souls who are in far greater need for salvation than any earthly need. Sure, you know, they may need to straighten up in class, right? Sure, they may have said something that offended you and you feel like that, you know, they shouldn't have said that to you. You didn't deserve that, right? Sure, they may need to get their, their facts straight or whatever the situation may be. Uh, but Jesus is asking you to look beyond those petty issues and look at their need for a Savior. We can learn from this beautiful example of submission here. Even when it didn't make sense, Jesus did it anyway because he knew submission was the answer, not resistance. Peter needed to learn how to submit himself to the Lord and to others. Now here's the encouraging thing. We know that Peter learned this lesson because years later we find Peter writing this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. You don't have to turn there. The Bible says, Peter's writing, he says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, 
whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Think of that. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. But as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the forward. May I just say that this did not happen overnight. The Peter that we know in the gospel records, and then the Peter that we see writing in his two epistles, this character trait that was developed, it didn't happen overnight. This was a lifelong lesson that Peter had to learn and constantly remind himself as he placed himself under the control of the Holy Spirit. Allow me just to point out one more staggering factor in this story, just for the fun of it. The Lord's sovereignty. John MacArthur says this, It's intriguing that the miracle Jesus' work demonstrated His absolute sovereignty, and yet at the same time, He was being an example of human submission. Christ supernaturally directed a fish that had swallowed a coin to take the bait on Peter's hook. If Jesus was Lord over nature to such a degree, He certainly had an authority, had the authority to opt out of the temple tax. He says, and yet He taught Peter by example how to willingly submit. Can I confess to you that over the past little while, the Lord's been teaching me these very two things. Submission and complete trust in His sovereignty. Submission to Him and to the people that the Lord's placed in my life. And complete trust that God is leading me every step of the way. Just as the songwriter penned these words, In shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leads His dear children along. Where the water cool flows, bathes the weary one's feet, God leads His dear children along. Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads His dear children along. Sometimes in the valley, in the darkest of night, God leads His dear children along. Some through the waters and some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Beautiful words. Allow me to encourage you tonight with this truth. We, as God's people, can rest in the sovereignty of God. I'd like for you to notice with me very quickly the third thing. I'd like for you to notice with me his testimony. We see his title. We see his transformation. Notice with me his testimony. Turn with me very quickly to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. The Bible says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Isn't that just like Peter? I love that. Even after Peter has been in so many ways transformed and helped by the Lord Jesus 
on these character qualities. And he's allowed Jesus to remold him, to reshape him, to refine him in these areas. He, he, he doesn't let uh, any, any, any ounce of, of um, lack of confidence, if you will, to stop him from standing up amongst the disciples here. In essence, saying, listen to me. I have something to say for the Lord. Skip with me down to verse 37. For sake of time, we won't read this, this whole chapter. But Peter stands up and he preaches and he speaks and he preaches the word of God. He preaches uh, the doctrine of salvation. He preaches truth to them, how they can know the Lord as their Savior. Look with me in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse 40 says, And with many other words did, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wait a second. You mean the man that was repeatedly rebuked by Jesus for his ignorance and quick temper, the man that fit perfectly the description of James when James wrote these words, a double-minded man, is unstable in all of his ways. The man who was impetuous, impulsive, and in every way out of control. This man who Jesus literally referred to, if we remember, as Satan. This man who, was in, who in his anger cut off the ear of the Roman guard. This man who denied Jesus three times during the most painful and vulnerable moment in Christ's earthly ministry. This was the man that led 3,000 souls to Christ. You see, all of the lessons that Christ was teaching Peter along the way were reshaping his character, transforming him into the man that God wanted him to be. In no way did Peter have an easy life. Even when Peter had met Christ, Peter had had a difficult, perplexing life. We, of course, don't know anything about Peter's early life as a child or his teenage years, but I can imagine that they were difficult. I can imagine that perhaps there was, there was a lot of disappointment, uh, maybe animosity in his home. And I say that because based upon his character traits before he met Christ, uh, his childhood and teenage years were probably filled with things that no one would willingly want to go through. So what's my point? Christ used those life experiences and the power of his sovereign hand to reshape, to remold, and in every way transform Peter to be the man and the leader that Christ wanted him to be. God used him to heal the lame. In fact, God gave him such power that people were healed in his shadow. God used him to raise Dorcas from the dead. God used him to introduce the gospel to the Gentiles. God used him to write two epistles in the New Testament, First and Second Peter. God used Peter to do an extraordinary work for him. As great as all of this sounds, did Peter become a perfect man? We, of course, know that's a silly question. No, absolutely not. 
We see many times, even after Christ leaves his disciples, that Peter struggled with his old nature. In fact, he was rebuked by Paul, as many of you remember, for being a hypocrite. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that God knows our imperfections. He knows our weaknesses. But instead of seeing us for who we are, He sees what we can be. And He uses us in spite of our humanity. In John MacArthur's book entitled 12 Ordinary Men, he states, How did Peter's life end? We know that, Pete, uh, that Jesus told Peter that he would die as a martyr. But Scripture doesn't record the death of Peter. All the records of early church history indicate that Peter was crucified. Eusebius cites the testimony of Clement, who says that before Peter was crucified, he was forced to watch the crucifixion of his own wife. As he watched her being led to her death, Clement says, Peter called to her by name, saying these words, Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. When it was Peter's turn to die, he pleaded to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die as his Savior had died. And thus he was nailed to a cross, head downward. You see, even until the very end, that love for the Lord that Peter had, that, that evolved in him, that was created in him by following the footsteps of Christ, even until the very end, Peter loved the Lord. Even until the very end, he gave his life for the cause of Christ. What is God trying to teach you? I know what he's trying to teach me. What is he trying to teach you? Is there a specific area in your life that needs to be reshaped, refined? Are you willing to follow the Lord as He teaches you and as He guides you? Maybe you're here tonight and before you can even think about any of this, before you can even think about taking that first step to follow Christ and allowing His transformative power to create in you uh, these character qualities that we know the Lord is trying to shape in us, before you can even think of any of that, Perhaps that you need a transformation of the soul. Have you made that first step of faith? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? This was Peter, a life of transformation. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.